At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Jesus asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were worse offenders than all of the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? The gardener replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. God's beloved people, grace to you in peace from God, our Creator, and from our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It sounds like the people with Jesus that day had been watching cable news. They had heard all the tragic headlines, a report of several Galileans sacrificed by Pilate like lambs to the slaughter, a tragic death of 18 bystanders when a tower collapsed on them, Another day, another cycle of bad news. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? For most of my adult life, I've started the day by making a cup of tea and checking the news headlines. It has been a ritual that I had looked forward to, but not anymore. I don't know what's changed, if it's me or if it's the news, but the headlines are just too heartbreaking. And I find myself asking the same questions repeatedly. How did this happen? What is wrong with this world? How can we fix this? I'm sure I'm not alone. Whether we get our news online or from the TV or the radio or the paper, we probably all ask some version of these questions. We'd like to be able to make some sense of the suffering and mess that greets us in the news each day. Jesus had some questions, too. His questions were about how people interpreted what they heard, especially how they interpreted the news in the light of their faith. Do you think that the Galileans who suffered at Pilate's hand were more sinful than the rest? Is this why they met such a terrible fate? Or how about those people who died in the rubble of the tower? Was that their punishment? for being sinful? Jesus asked them about this idea of divine retribution, the belief that suffering is somehow God's punishment for sin. In his day, this was a common way to make sense of suffering. It was the most simple and logical explanation. Bad things happen because people deserve it. We may be more subtle and sophisticated in our modern time, but a version of this thinking is alive and well. We've heard televangelists lay the blame for hurricanes and tsunamis at the feet of immoral and godless people. 
even if our perspective isn't quite that harsh, we are part of a society that spends an extraordinary amount of time and energy assessing guilt and blame in the face of suffering that doesn't make sense to us. We place a high value on things making sense, as if life were a ledger that had to be balanced. So we assign perpetrators and victims. We point our fingers in blame. We project our broken logic onto God and come up with really bad theology, all in an attempt to make sense of why bad things happen to good people. Which is why it's important to listen to Jesus in this morning's text. He disconnects the faulty connections that we are tempted to make between sin and suffering. Did these people suffer because of their own sin? No, Jesus said. They did not. And he went on to remind them of a truth about being human, that we all get caught in sin's tangled web. You and I may not literally have blood on our hands like Pilate, but we all participate in systems of tyranny and injustice. We may even benefit from them. We may never be the victim of a sudden tragedy like a falling tower, but we all know how fragile and unfair life and death can be. And what we need, according to Jesus, isn't simplistic answers. It is repentance. Repentance is a word we hear quite often this time of year. It's one of the themes of Lent and one of the themes of Luke's gospel. We tend not to hear this word in our everyday life outside of church unless it's as some sort of joke. The word is weighed down with so much unnecessary, unhelpful baggage. Metanoia, translated here repentance, has its roots in classical Greek. It means to have a change in thinking, a change of mind that results in a change of behavior. This is how the word is used throughout much of the New Testament. It isn't so much about chest-thumping guilt as it is and openness to change. To repent is to be broken open by the Spirit and reoriented in God. Because God does not operate according to our logic or rules. That first reading from Isaiah reminds us of this. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. To repent is to be open to a new vision of God that changes our perceptions, our understandings, and our behavior. According to this definition, Jesus' entire ministry was a call to repentance. He cast new light on the kingdom of God. And in this light, people could let go of old beliefs that distorted God's face. They could turn from narrow understandings of God's justice and righteousness as if human beings know the mind of God. To repent is to turn from our tidy explanations and to turn toward the grace of God, which is far less tidy, but is the ground and source of our life. 
You see, the reign of God is not a tit-for-tat or a quid pro quo economy where everyone gets what he or she deserves. God's economy is fueled by grace, by God's loving kindness, without which all of us would perish. It's like the fig tree in Jesus' little story. Time was up for this fruitless little tree. The logical thing to do was cut it down. It was using up resources, and it was not bearing figs, which is pretty much a fig tree's whole reason for being. To cut it down would be fair. It would make sense. But the patient gardener had another idea. I don't know why. Maybe he had a lot of time on his hands. Maybe he really loved figs. Or maybe when the gardener looked at the tree, he could still see the fruitful tree it was meant to be. For whatever reason, the gardener went to work, augmenting the soil, fertilizing it, digging around it, getting dirty and messy like gardeners do in order to bring forth life. That's you and me. Trees planted deeply in the soil of God's grace are very life dependent on God's forbearance and God's loving kindness. This divine activity makes a fruitful life possible even in the face of all the bad news, even in the face of all of the suffering that doesn't make sense. God doesn't give us tidy answers. Instead, God offers God's very life for us in Jesus Christ. We are invited each day to turn to him, to be nourished by his mercy and wisdom. We are invited to trust that rooted and grounded in love, our lives may not be simple and tidy, but they will be fruitful. Thanks be to God. Amen. We sing together, and if you have...